Curtain Call, the show where we go behind the curtain with the stars of the culture wars. I'm your host, Alexandra Marshall, and today we are joined by Jamie Spry. So, Jamie, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for being here today. Thanks, Ellie. Nice to see you here. Yeah. Yeah. So, for those who don't know, Jamie is a culture warrior for the libertarian conservative side of Twitter. He sits there and he he tries his best to try and combat the narrative of the climate change cult online. And your work has been greatly appreciated by some of the bigger names there. Your stuff appears on Sky News on a Sunday on Outsiders. Yeah, well, it was funny. Rowan sort of picked up some of the, um, some of the, uh, I guess, sceptical realist chat on Twitter and, and ran with it. And he does the Ice Age um, watch episode, which um, I did feature on a few times, which was a, which was a bit chuffed by. So, but it was good because it's getting out some of the information that um, I guess the mainstream media and politicians won't necessarily get out to um, just, I guess, the general public. So we often get a sanitised version of climate change and Helen, Helen Brimstone and the world's going to end, but um, there's a lot of counter evidence out there. And I guess with the climate debate, uh, with a lot of politically charged debates these days, you're not actually getting... Uh, the other side, I guess there's always two sides to the coin. So there's a good little band of um, of uh, realists out there who is getting some really good science out there and some really good information, which does kind of categorically contradict a lot of the narratives you're getting out there, a lot of the politically driven narratives. So well, I think it's a good thing that we can, yeah. Well, get Jamie, out there. I don't I certainly use your work a lot. Basically, I, I steal it. This is no other way to, to put that. And uh, many okay. other conservatives in the sphere, they use your brilliant tweets, which often include a lot of graphs and links to external things like the climate blog. Um, how mm -hmm. did you get into this? Is this your profession or is this a, an obsession, obsession and interest? How did you come to being so interested in producing information related to this climate change debate? Um, I guess it's a bit of all of the above. I mean, I... How it all began, I guess the whole climate issue came to the fore, to the public's um, purview out of the, the 2006 um, uh, Al Gore movie, um, uh, An Inconvenient Truth. And I think that actually took me, I was startled by the information and um, uh, until um, a year later, the British High Court, before I guess the courts were all politicised back in 2007, they found... Uh, nine categorical errors and exaggerations, which were the main nine points that Gore made. So that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Um, and they, it was based on exaggeration and fear-mongering. They were kind of the words out of the British High Court judge. So, But the media didn't pick up that at all. So I, don't, I think that spoilt their, you know, their catastrophic narrative. So then no, about I mean, that... Yeah. When that came out, that, that video, that whole... Mm. Um, what was he in an inconvenient truth? It was all about the world ending. I can't remember if it was ending in a, an ice age at that point or if they'd switched to the global warming apocalypse, but it was one of their climate apocalypses. And it was so far yeah. beyond the realm of normal that people thought it was basically a joke. And now that's yeah. mainstream for the United Nations and our, our political leaders. Yeah. Are you shocked at how quickly that outrageous narrative of Al Gore has become the political norm? Yeah. Yeah, I am absolutely, and more so for the um, for the profession of science. I think science was bastardised a lot by it. 
in terms of cherry picking information and um, finding the most hysterical alarmist information to put out to the public. I guess the intent, in, the intent was um, whether it was, um, you know, uh, I guess an intention to shock people, which in my eyes, science shouldn't be used for that. The whole scientific method is to have a hypothesis or a theory, which, which basically anthropogenic global warming or catastrophic anthropogenic global warming is still a theory. There is no proof that the CO2 molecule is causing you know, catastrophic climate weather events. There, there, there actually isn't. There's no scientific paper that has said that. So, yeah, I'm really surprised and a bit flattened. And that's when I sort of went out and decided to do my own research and study some of the other stuff. And when you really dive under under what you see in the mainstream, it's incredible how, um, you know, how filtered and alarmist uh, the, the version we get is, which is kind of sad for science because it's kind of um, ruining the reputation of science perhaps. So. Yeah. yeah, well, you and I share a love of science. I mean, I I did engineering. I, I loved science at school. And the thing that I loved about science was that it's a profession where anybody can start from nothing, read the documentation, mm -hmm. replicate results, and do their own uh, discovery and work. I mean, most what people forget about, especially in today's modern age, is that a huge percentage of scientists in history were actually laymen who... Uh, noticed things and did their own research and then the establishment of the, and the Royal Society had to acknowledge their work. It's not uh, mm -hmm. a community of um, elite by any stretch of the imagination. It tries to be, but that's not the real story of science. And what we are no. seeing now is this idea of gatekeeping where only the experts, mm -hmm. and I use experts mm -hmm. in uh, inverted commas there, are allowed to have an opinion on science. And that goes against the essential narrative of what science truly is, which is meant to be an open and, and factual exploration of the truth of our universe. Have you had experiences with this pressure group online who are using expert uh, gatekeeping as a way to stifle debate and to stop people like yourself from having an opinion and from producing evidence to the contrary of their narrative? Yeah, I guess the mainstream media, they're the ultimate gatekeeper. I guess um, they're probably more powerful than government right now because especially as so, their powers become so much more centralised. I mean, I think Channel 10 is owned by Comcast and so the daily narrative goes out. So that is, the, I guess, the ultimate barrier to push through the mainstream media. What they say goes. Um, and politicians tend to follow that line too because they will get bashed up by the mainstream media if they don't toe the line. So... That's the ultimate gatekeeper in my eyes, the mainstream media, and they won't allow um, any dissent um, outside of the preferred narrative at all. Um, anything that contradicts, um, you know, the preferred wisdom of the day is is shot down. And, I mean, you're labelled a science denier, um, which is kind of a belief structure, really. I guess belief and denial are kind of the words of zealots, not, not scientists. So, yeah, that's... That's what I've noticed. So there's a hard barrier to push through, which is the mainstream media, but yeah. yeah well, unfortunately for science, because mm -hmm. it is a, a tool of great power, because knowledge can, of course, topple mm -hmm. uh, these systems of, of, of power. And in the past, there were different right. organisations who were trying to control it. So everyone knows the story of the Catholic Church and Galileo having to kneel and recant what he discovered. The church had a big role, mm -hmm. particularly in Darwin's era, when we were discovering more about ourselves and any idea that humans might have evolved was, of course, heresy and against the group mm. consensus. And now we've watched 
government come through with a similar uh, desire to censor and control the information of science because they, of course, based a lot of their political careers and their own personal finances on the climate change narrative. It's no joke when you realise there are trillions of dollars caught up in not only green bond activities and renewables companies, but also political careers of politicians who have no desire mm. to walk back a line that they've based their election campaigns on. What sort of role mm. do you think politics and the desire for political leaders to stay in power is stifling debate and truth in this climate change narrative? Uh, certainly I see you trying to counteract some of these political figures. You think it has a big role mm. there that you're struggling with? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, with anything so emotionally structured, I mean, the whole environmental issue is a very emotional issue. So anyone who dares to kind of contradict the narrative that we're, we're all going to die in 10 years is looked upon as um, a planet hater, um, which is the thing. And politicians don't want to be labelled as planet haters. Only the really, you know, the really brazen ones like Craig Kelly, for example, um, Matt Canavan to a point, um, but they are very much isolated and demonised for their for having an objective scientific view, and any science they do pull is is looked at as um, you know not proper science, I guess. So some yeah, the, and the, there's a lot of things to say about you know the, the the terms that politicians have. I mean, they've only got three years, so they go on the whole green agenda and tick boxes, and they look fantastic, but um, they're actually hurting the poor um, and now more or less the middle class and. There's a really amazing um, transfer of wealth going on from the middle class and the poor and in terms of higher electricity bills. And and that's where I kind of, a lot of my drive came from was to stand up for the people who don't have a voice, I guess, the middle class and the poor um, against the elites who are pushing a line. I mean, they can afford all the green taxes. Big corporations can afford carbon taxes. People can't, the average working class person can't, um, yet they don't have a voice. Yeah, we see on um, certain elections, I mean, even Morrison's election, he was um, put in in 2018 on the back of um, the fear of Shorten's, you know, um, draconian climate change laws. Yet as soon as Morrison got in, he lurched to the left and tried to appease the ABC and appease the mainstream media, which is obviously of the left now. So he kind of left his quiet Australians, you know, to, to, to go. So that really angered me a lot because he got in on the back of the of the main bulk of the community not wanting, you know, so many wind farms and solar panels, which just jack the price of their thing up and actually do nothing for the environment or change the weather. It's, yeah. funny, you should, it's funny you should mention Craig Kelly because in his opening speech to Parliament, which I've just gone through, he pretty much starts off by describing himself as an environmentalist. And most of the Liberal base and Conservative base who tend to vote nationals are rural, they're farmers or they are old school environmentalists who really do care mm. about saving water, saving environments, planting trees, keeping pollution low. Mm. It was a big mistake for the Liberal Party, I, I think, to allow the Greens to have the environmental narrative when really what we're seeing is the Greens being large corporatists who are empowering nations like China and all of the billionaire businessmen mm. surrounding the energy industry versus yep. the or, as you correctly say, the middle class and, and um, mm. poorer classes of Australia who are real environmentalists but are being mm. pushed down by green taxes which do nothing for the environment. Now, what I've noticed that disturbs mm. conservatives is I look at the mountainsides being 
leveled and forest being cut down to carpet the area in wind turbines, which as we all know are short-lived, low-energy yield, and the sort of scorched earth, earth approach of solar panels, which do a similar amount of damage on the ground because solar panel fields, that's it. You've got solar panels, you've got nothing else. And they take an awful lot of space in order to produce a small amount of energy. Conservatives mm -hmm. look at this and go, this doesn't seem like a very energy efficient way to save the environment. It's a massive mining disaster. It produces no energy. You have to have a backup system of lithium batteries, which mm -hmm. are their own massive environmental problem, all on their own. And then it all goes in landfill yep. within 30 years. So yep. we are, I think you and I come from the same page where we want the environment, but we are forever listed as anti-environmentalist when that's not our position at all. Is that yeah. something that you find difficult to, to deal with is hey. that you're the environment when you are literally fighting for the environment yeah i guess it brings it sort of interesting analysis i mean the the greatest threat to the environment is not affluence it's poverty um okay. and all that green taxes all that green taxes do is actually make us more impoverished i mean there's a great example of the, um, the island of haiti and dominican republic they're split in two um, haiti's pretty much 99 percent denuded of forest, um, whereas Dominican Republic, who are evil fossil, use evil fossil fuels, their forests are lush and green. The point is the Haitians use wood and chop down their forests to burn and to keep warm and to keep cool and to, for industry and housing. On the other side, and you can see it from satellite maps, um, there's this great line where the border is and Dominican Republic is lush and green and, and, and magnificent because they use um, very low, um, high energy density um, coal-fired power stations, which take up a tiny land footprint um, and, and enables to save the trees. So, I mean, the whole point of the original green movement back in the Bob Brand days is, you know, save the forest, which is a, which is admirable. But I'm not sure the greens are so green anymore. They're perhaps a little shade of red, or perhaps we could call them watermelons. Green, green on the outside, red on the inside. <laughs> Yeah. The, the Greens in Germany are complaining yeah. because the government there, the Green government, are uh, mm. wanting to cut down the Hansel and Gretel forest for biomass fuel, which is basically, they say biomass and the EU gives it five stars for energy efficiency yep. and greenness, but it's basically cutting down old growth forests, putting them in a wood chipper and then burning them. Is that? That's right, yeah. I find that so difficult to understand how the UN can yeah. say, yep, that's green. But how dare you mm. have nuclear power, which is the lowest form of carbon emission possible? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think they, think they see the irony. I mean, let's take, say, um, the Drax plant, in, which is a biomass plant in the UK. They import 12 million um, tonnes of wood chip to burn in this biomass thing, uh, um, plant, basically to replace coal. Now, coal is um, a stored wood under underneath the, the um underneath the earth i mean trees you've got to chop them down they're shipped all the way from canada um to be burnt and uk only grows i think two million um tons worth of trees of a year so there's a a 10 million tree or ton deficit that they're burning and the reason that they are allowed to do it is because under the eu co2 rules biomass isn't factored into the co2 counting equation so that's why um, Germany's happy to, you know, chop down their forests because they, there's no there's no CO two um, imprint on their on their data at the end of the day. So um, yeah, it's sort of robbing Peter robbing Peter to pay Paul, and it's yeah. It's, so what you're saying, they're allowed 
to cut down forests to burn, yeah. releasing carbon yeah. in order to save mm -hmm. forests, but we're not allowed to dig up nuclear energy from our ground for energy no. efficiency. Because that's right. that makes yeah. total sense. Yeah, nor are we allowed to use our coal in Australia, the cleanest coal in the world, which is black um, anthracite. Um, we're, yet we're allowed to ship it to China so they can use it to make us windmills, send us windmills back, which send us broke. So there's this kind of um, nasty circle that goes around, which is kind of, yeah, it's very hypocritical. But it's not cool. I, I've said a lot about the geopolitical problems with using renewables in Australia. Mm -hmm. We are a country yep. that has beautiful gifts as far as energy goes. We have, as you say, coal, we have gas. We've got more than the Earth's entire lifetime supply of nuclear energy. So we don't actually have to go anywhere mm -hmm. for, for energy. But what we've done is we've decided mm -hmm. to allow billionaires to import our entire energy grid from the renewables of China, who, um, just to, for our viewers, they basically yeah own the renewables market because they dig up all the raw materials because it's a dangerous and destructive activity. They're not rare, they're just mm. dispersed. Uh, what are, yeah. so we know the problem of obviously giving our energy grid to China is not a good idea when they are the biggest Pacific threat that we have at mm. the moment and the most likely to cause trouble on the world stage. So that yeah. aside, what is the, in your opinion, the worst of the renewables energies and why? Uh, and if you could just give us a brief overview of what's wrong with the backup grid, this parallel um, backup uh, battery grid that is not really mentioned enough when we're talking about solar and wind. Right. Well, I guess we start with Elon's South Australian um, uh, battery grid. That, what, it costs $150 million. It It's actually um, recharged on gas turbines, which are, you, you don't hear that in the media. There's a whole bunch of gas turbines that are being put up to firm up South Australia's energy grid. South Australia, by the way, has the highest energy costs in the world. Um, it overtook Germany, I think, two years ago. Um, and that's on the back of this massive acceleration in, in solar and wind, which, I mean, work at the best times, it's got a 30% um, capacity rate which I mean not capacity but they it works only 30 percent of the time obviously the wind doesn't blow all the time and even if it blows too hard they have to stop them so they're firming it up with gas which is obviously a fossil fuel but the media don't tell you that because they don't want to take away from the you know pretty little narrative that that green energy is the way to go so um so I guess the back to the Elon thing if say that um if say south australia wasn't connected to the national grid because they're getting most of their power from liddell and victoria um which are both coal plants um if that if their grid if they clicked out of that grid and had to rely on wind and solar the elon musk um, battery grid will last one minute for thirty thousand homes so i don't think it's very cost effective um in terms of what it's meant to do i think it's just another form of window dressing to pretend that we can firm up you know, um, renewables when it's cloudy, when it doesn't blow, when it's at night time. So, yeah, and well, it just yeah, well, drives the cost of everything up. Let's be real about yeah. renewables. The, the, it's often mentioned but never really explained by the mainstream press, this idea of having a parallel uh, power grid. And that means that yeah. renewables have to have a baseload power grid sitting underneath them because they fluctuate wildly with their power distribution mm. on a good day. That's just if it's working mm. well. And they have the batteries underneath them to... Uh, even off their their um, jumping around as far as their power grid, which plays havoc on the mm. lines and the infrastructure. But then also at the end of the day, the power grid underneath them, so the, the battery backup, can't support them for any significant length of time. So what they have is no. a backup grid of 
a nuclear power plant if you're in Europe or if you're here, a coal grid or a biomass grid or something that produces mm. power in a regular fashion. The thing is, mm. you don't need the renewable side of that grid. All you need to produce no. is the base of power. So we're essentially exactly. building ourselves a second unnecessary grid at enormous cost to the planet because of how That's we right. work. And have you ever heard right. anybody in the press talk about the fact that we've built a second grid for no reason? Because we can't come off the, the base-o grid. No. That's, can we? That's it. No, they, I mean, they don't want to build a cat. I mean, the obvious thing is why do you need two forms of energy when one works just as well? I mean, Liddell is pretty much powering, what is it, 22 million kilowatts, pretty powering the whole of Australia, really, or keeping the grid stable. I mean, and that's one coal plant, which I think AGL wants to decommission by 2022, or they're putting a threat out there. Um, Basically, they want green subsidies. If the more green energy they put in, the more subsidies they get. They make more money out of green energy through through taxpayer subsidies than they do from selling coal. But if we got rid of Liddell, the whole of Australia would come to a grinding halt. Um, so it's yeah, it's really, well, yeah. That's the thing about and then you've got you've, that's the thing. The interesting thing about engineering, right? So you can make business money out of these uh, renewable scams, I call them. The subsidies that the government provides. You can make a fortune. There's no question that yep. if you manage to hoodwink the government into giving these companies money, mm. great, you will become billionaires. But mm -hmm. there's a physical attribute underneath here, which is the actual grid itself. If you continue to deteriorate the baseload energy mm. grid, the lights will go off. And at that yeah. point, what are the politicians going to do when they end up with candles as their main source of light? Have you have yeah. you seen any any evidence that mm. our politicians are aware that this is the natural end? And do you think it's going to happen um, in Australia the way things are going? Of course it will. It's inevitable. Um, the reason they don't complain, I mean, South Australia had those two memorable grid power blackouts, I think, uh, back in 2018 and one in 2016. I think that was, it went around the world. I mean, South Australia was black for seven minutes. Um basically because the the whole grid blew up there was a storm and one pylon went down and the, it was all over but they had actually no more thermal energy to back up i think they just got rid of playwood and yeah so but the other the other well in terms of say the politicians where they come in if you mention that they're still going to hold that ground they're not going to say okay maybe we should think of nuclear because the greens will say no nuclear is evil even though it's co2 free and co2 is their boogeyman but they won't go down nuclear so the politicians won't dare err on the side of, okay, maybe we need some cheap, reliable energy, um, you know, like the rest of Asia is doing, even Germany's doing. They're opening six coal-fired power stations at the moment, um, which the media don't tell you. So what the happens is then they... The French are keeping yeah, well, back French, the power plants again. The French are keeping back the power plants because they ran out of energy. Yeah, well... Well, they're running 70%, 70% um, CO2-free nuclear, but you don't... You don't hear that from the Greens. I mean, it's just so, yeah, they, I mean, the, and the, our politicians, what they'll get into is, you know, forms of firming up. We need more batteries or even more windmills. I mean, you you wouldn't be able to have, a, uh, there wouldn't be the land to build enough windmills or solar panels to power Australia of any given day. Um, yeah. That's, so that's I think they're afraid. They're afraid of, afraid of the mainstream media and the Greens. They're afraid to come out and say, this is reality. What are we doing? Um, which is really, really disappointing because they're meant to, you know, be purveyors of the truth, aren't they? I mean, we 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 put them into government to tell us the truth. So well, apparently yeah. we did. But uh, apparently. that's a really great point you touched on. If we're going to talk about facts, we're going to talk about reality. 
let's talk about mm. the reality of an energy nirvana of solar and wind. Do you know roughly how much of our landscape we would have to carpet with solar panels and wind energy and batteries in order to roughly meet this idea of a perfect renewables world? Uh, yeah, they did a study in England a couple of years ago where they put um, a nuclear power station, which was sort of so big, and how much wind and solar they'd need. Um, actually, it was a map of the United States. So pretty much the, the entire United States was covered with windmills and solar panels versus a tiny dot, say, um, in Texas for one nuclear power station. Um, so that it's astronomical how much you need to ratchet up the land use to have any any sort of hope of having 100% um, renewable energy in, in, in air quotes. But, and that's just not going to happen um, um, because it, it, you still, still, the wind still doesn't blow at times or it blows too heavy or we have night time, which knocks out solar panels. So, well, the sheer use of those resources is mm. impossible because to cast yeah. the world mm. in solar panels, even if you mm. wanted to do it, you have to dig mm. that out of the ground. So not only do you yeah. destroy the ground you're putting it on, you've actually used your resources. And I, I know from electronics that we had a massive yeah. problem uh, in the end of the 90s when they realised they were going to run out of the basic elements for some of the components of our LCD screens and our uh, really yeah. important electronics. And they, they had this whole drive of, um, please donate your electronics so that we can recycle them. That wasn't because they cared about the planet. That was because they were running out of the raw materials running inside. Out. Yeah. yeah. And now they're using yeah. that in all the solar panels and wind turbines, meaning mm. that we'll run out of resources for our computers, which we kind of need. So there's no, yep. uh, I find that people don't understand this idea that solar panels and they are renewable in the idea that you have to keep renewing them because they keep dying. Yep. Um, but they're not made of renewable energy. They're made of very real mining, mm. hard, hard right. equipment. Um, but you've mentioned yeah. nuclear, and this is a big topic in Australia because in the general population, there's enormous support for nuclear because we're not idiots. Mm. But in the polit political class, they're frightened of it. So I find that a lot of the Greens I argue with online have no idea that we've had two nuclear power plants in Australia. Mm. What's your yeah. uh, your um, your view of fighting against this idea of no nuclear online versus the reality of um, nuclear power in Australia? Well, I guess on a more sort of fundamental level, finding out where the Greens are really at, whether they're really environmental protectors or whether they're, you know, pushing for this globalist um, political venture, which um, the corporatist elites, uh, and all you really have to do is say to them, is, isn't CO2 the boogeyman? I mean, that's the whole genesis of this, um, of this why I'm talking to you now, the climate change debate, is that the more CO2 we put into the atmosphere, the the more the world heats up, which is the theory, but it's actually not happening that way. But, um, And you will say that to them. If CO2 is your boogeyman, why don't you embrace nuclear? Um, it's completely 100% CO2 free, a really small land footprint. You don't have to chop down any trees, but they will then say, no, we hate nuclear. So there's no win-win scenario with them. There's no, there's no coming to um, a happy medium with them, which shows to me that the climate change debate is categorically political and aimed to achieve power. Um, that's it. It's not about the environment at all. That's my opinion from looking at this stuff for the past 14 years. Yeah, well, not only, 
my favorite debate from them is, oh, but if you've managed to get them on the uh, environmental saving, it's not, it doesn't produce carbon dioxide, which is true. Mm. They go, oh, but it's expensive. I'm like, as opposed to the trillions of dollars that you're pouring in to the renewables. Yeah. And of course, the reason that nuclear is expensive is not because it is an expensive technology. It's because of all the additional taxes and fees that are placed on top of it by the government, mm. which are entirely optional. Yeah. They don't have to do that. Um, mm. But with nuclear, the reason we should really be discussing it is because nuclear power, as you say, does not produce the CO2 emissions. Even in its production, it's still a fraction of the percentage of lifetime per unit of power produced. But what yeah. they say is, oh, but then radiation is, is dangerous. And yeah. the thing that bothers me is radiation isn't actually dangerous to the survival of the planet. So we live yeah. in a highly radio uh, intense world to begin with. We're buffeted by radiation from everywhere we dig it up out of the ground it's everywhere and it dissipates pretty fast it's not a yeah. it's not an existential threat to life or the planet but yep. they use that as an excuse to stop you from using um mm. nuclear energy to replace it it seems to me like they're frightened that the market would the market for renewables would be ruined if we are allowed to go to nuclear mm. energy because it solves the problem they set up do you think that's the at, that at the bottom of the thing that is what the problem is it nuclear undermines the enormous money making scam of the renewables industry itself and puts power back no, in the hands of uh, countries like australia to have their own power i think it's darker than that um to just be frank i think they're very much a misanthropic organization misanthropy is the hatred of humanity um, they're a mal they're, they run on the basis of lines of Malthusianism, which, you know, the, there's too many people on the planet we're using resources. That might be so, but um, that doesn't mean you can um, wield your political magic under the banner of green and destroy people's lives and the, and the poor, make them poorer, and the middle class rip into their businesses and only, in, in, you know, only sort of um, empower the, the rich elites um, and the corporate world. I mean, it'll all... I thought I, I, I mean, I thought socialism was meant to even the scale or communism, which which they espouse yeah, to, yeah. by the way. But yeah, but down. what it's actually doing, all it's doing is um, it, it's widening the gap between rich and poor. Um, you know, we used to have the Occupy Wall Street one percent people, which is kind of a noble thing, but you're actually getting the one percent by pushing green energy because you're just shoveling a whole lot of money from. Um, the wealth transfer from the poor and the middle class to the elite and the rich and that's that's not very equitable to me so joe biden's kind of going on about equity and and so forth at the moment which equality i think everyone wants equality but this green energy movement um is not really creating equity it's just putting money into the hands of really powerful corporations so i don't know that's that's couldn't be couldn't be a good thing <laughs> The reason you're on a show about culture warriors and I brought you on here as a culture warrior and not a scientific show mm -hmm. is because the right. climate change, I call it a cult, the climate change political movement is a cultural movement. As we have sat here and discussed, if it was yeah. a science movement, it would have all been over yesterday because we have a solution to their yeah. problem. Nuclear energy, everyone can go home. Yeah. No problem. Planet, mm -hmm. planet solved, right? We can all leave. Yep. Discussion's over from, from a technical right. standpoint, but from a political standpoint and a cultural standpoint, we've started calling climate change eco-fascism because it has become entangled with a network of mm. socialist organizations like the United Nations, which are yeah. led by a group of socialists and also mm -hmm. the more extreme fringe groups, the Antifa style 
uh, groups who uh, siphoned off onto yeah. Extinction Rebellion, but they're the same people in both groups. So we can we can quite happily tie those yeah. two groups together. And it's become mm. uh, the environment's become a way of uh, propping up political systems, dismantling mm. capitalism, which even though capitalism has led to the best environmental practices in the world and communist countries mm. and social countries are by far the worst when looking after the environment. Mm -hmm. That's what it yeah. has become tied up in. So when you fight online, mm. you're often fighting a philosophical and political discussion more than you are fighting um, a scientific one, which you need every time, by the way. Your, your posts are great. I encourage everyone to go to your blog and to your Twitter account. I will put the links in the video description. Um, but with that, Thanks, you've yeah. touched on the most important thing, and that is as people get poorer, they look after the environment less, not because they hate the environment, mm. because poor people don't have the resources to correctly look after yeah. the environment, which is why Australia, Correct. when it was a rich, wealthy country, we have one mm. of the best environment records. But if you go into Asia and you go into Africa and South America, where the population have nothing, yeah. their environment is a disaster. So do you want to... Um, uh, just you, you've got all the data and you know all this. Um, do you think that a bigger problem than CO2 might be the pollution that is coming out of these communist and socialist countries because of poverty? And do you see that being the real problem going forward, not this yeah. change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the interesting aspects. I mean, we hear this word carbon pollution. That's a clever way of conflating um, visible particulate pollution which it's not. Carbon dioxide is invisible, tasteless, colourless, inert, uh, and a trace gas. Um, whereas actual particulate pollution, we all hate that. Um, you know, industry fumes and so forth. Um, but that's a different, that's a different, um, whole different issue. If we spent the money we're spending per day on climate change policies, which is $400 billion a day globally, that's what the taxpayers forking out for the the climate change um, boondoggle. So, but if we all fixed, you know, particulate pollution, like like this 1970s Clean Act in in America, which drastically reduced, um, you know, all of the all your bad toxins, sulfur dioxide and so forth, are coming out, and they put um, you know fly ash traps on uh, on coal plants, and that greatly um, cleaned up the air. And I mean, Australia's got some of the cleanest air in the world because we have very strict particulate measures. Whereas Asia uh, and, and a lot of places in Africa, they're, they're very poor. They don't have the, the money to afford um, particulate things. Now, the reason that I believe we don't actually, or these, these groups like the UN and, 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 and all, the, all the affiliated green groups, don't, aren't actually interested in fixing real pollution, like particulate pollution, is because of this, this fact. Once we, once we fix all that and clean it all up, I believe that then they've got nowhere to go. They've got no issue anymore. So it's a perpetual problem that they want to keep manifesting. Um, and, you, and, and they say we want to stop climate change. The climate always changes. So it's a wonderful thing. That's why they changed the name from global warming to climate change, because they realised the planet wasn't warming. But if you actually, you could, global warming, you could potentially, you know, um, you, you can ping it down and perhaps stop it. But climate change always climate changes. So when, when it's hot, it's climate change. When it's cold, it's climate change. So it's a um, it's a null hypothesis, as they'd call it in science. So it's a, a perpetual, never-ending um, battle that that the taxpayer is fighting against these these noble, virtuous um, green groups. You know who use who use the platform for power. That's my ultimate take on it. Yeah.
that's one of my favorite uh, things about the whole narrative. They, the only people who are denying climate change are the climate change cultists who appear to think that we live yeah. in a climate controlled environment that never changes mm. when even a brief yeah. history of human uh, occupation of Earth shows that our oceans have risen and fallen more than 150 metres just in human occupation. Yeah. Forget about uh, mm. the ancient world, which, yeah. I mean, we almost, mm. when, um, a lot of people don't realise this, but when cyanobacteria, which is those um, little stacks, sort of coral reefy style things off the west coast of yeah. Australia, they're one of the oldest life forms. And when they first came about in the ocean, they created oxygen for the first time. And that pretty much nearly finished earth there and then because it sent us into a, a snow globe earth and if we didn't have salt water yeah. which is heavier allowing it to be, remain right. liquid that would have been it that would have been catastrophic climate change <laughs> almost overnight but these things yeah. they, they're not aware of the real history of earth's climate yet they think that these mm. couple of degrees fluctuation as we exit out of an ice age which is what we've been doing mm. is somehow the end of the world they don't look at they look yeah. at this much of the graph they don't then extend the graph yeah. back and have a look at the global trends, which when you're talking about right. billions of years is a far more important yeah. measure. You can't use human life experience as a measure for the climate. We're no. not, we don't live long enough. It's not, we're yeah. ants for the climate. You know, we're not. Yeah, you can, you can, you can use humans if the hatred of humanity is so great, which does tend to err on those people's. Uh, lexicon there, there's as I said misanthropy Malthusianism which stretches in so yeah and as you said the length of what they take history I mean we could throw around history denial if we wanted but we don't because we don't tend to work in facts and reason and sanity but they actually just pretty much take the chunk from the 1970s which was tapped which was tabled by the UN as the, the, the I mean as the global cooling crisis um I think Newsweek, Time Magazine, all these scientists, um, Schneider came out saying, you know, we're going to enter a new ice age. I think the UN actually in 1972 wanted to spread black soot on the Arctic ice cap to, oh, to attract sunlight, to, to melt it. I mean, that's 40 years ago, Ellie. So from in, in 40 years, we've gone from a global cooling crisis under the banner of climate change, man-made, to now global warming crisis because it started warming naturally. Um, it's only been 1.5 degree in 150 years, which really isn't that much in the context of things. But that's where we're at. So they take from the 70s and show you a graph like this. And it's like, but what happened before? The 1930s were by far the hottest decade of the 20th century. I mean, you've got the, you've got the Dust Bowl that happened in America through the 30s when I mean, 7 million people um, evacuated to California. And, um, yeah, so they take a very small, um, you know, piece of the chart and tell you that we're all going to die which is a lie yeah and they always take they always exclude 1910 as well because that was the year of extreme droughts and heat when my own family were losing Correct. all of their cattle and they had to leave their properties mm -hmm. because it was a drought that would never end uh, but spreading yeah. uh, ash on the arctic i mean goodness me don't yeah. help i think is what the government we should tell the government please don't <laughs> please don't help at all just leave it alone <laughs> No, more yeah, well, I, I think now built now yeah. they were going to pull some kind of asteroid into our orbit to help measure climates and things like can you please just stop touching stuff like it'd be much better if you didn't help us at all uh, yeah but, I think the better comes with the better the, the hubris of mankind isn't it um they're, they're trying to play God all the time I think Bill Gates now wants to build mirrors in space to deflect the sun I mean it's just not yeah 
Don't do that. I hate the cold. I need to have like about 30 yeah. degrees. I'm happy. I don't want mirrors deflecting the little heat that I have. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. The one thing that um, I actually wasn't going to ask you this, though, this is a question without notice. Apologies for that. Uh, no. I was just remembering when you were talking about these online graphs and things that I did the, the legwork and took a figure about the rising sea levels that was being quoted by the IPCC in their report. Yeah. And I tracked it down because I noticed that the same figure was quoted in every report. It wasn't like it was a range of reports where people have gone out and done their own research and come back with, you know, collaborating evidence. It was one figure. Mm. And I tracked down the origin of the figure and it was a single report from scattered tidal measurements that were not taken in the same location for any length of time. And then they were homogenized, which is basically mm. changed to look right. And then they've used that, yeah. which was proof of nothing, as a as a measure that the IPCC then use in their reports that, oh my God, they aren't gonna see. Have you noticed that that's the case a lot of the time where these reports are taking single figures from obscure mm. reports that are not even uh, validated inside their own report and then magnifying that as a, a, a immutable fact of the debate. Mm. Yeah, well, I guess it's a classic kind of case of cherry picking to, uh, again. I mean, in homogenization, they'll homogenize it to what they want or the climate models. So they'll, they'll put in data to make the climate models um, exceedingly hot. I mean, but who's putting information into the climate models? And I mean, back on sea level, the actual global sea level rise data is, I mean, fraught with danger, I guess, because at any given point on the earth, the continental plates are moving. I mean, there's the, the, there's the um, uh, rebound from the ice age still going on. So if we look at, say, Sweden, the, the sea level rise is plunging. Um, it's actually falling because the, I guess when the glaciers, when all the melt happened 20,000 years ago, um, the, the plates are still rebounding, so the sea's going down. So, I mean, the, the IPCC aren't going to show you Swedish tidal graphs, are they? Because it, it, it goes it goes in the wrong yeah. way. Wait, They're only going to pick... Wait until they find out the oh. continents are going up as they crash into each other. Yeah. They're drifting sideways, mm. and then they're also going yeah. that way. And so while the sea level yeah. might go up here, it doesn't mean the whole planet is going to be no. flooded in any sense of the word. No. No, and I mean, if you look at from 1750, there was a major, something happened, which scientists don't actually know what happened, but the, for about, I think, 5,000 years, there was no sea level rise. And in 1750, there was an uptick to pretty much the same rate as it is now, which is about 1.2 mil a year. And that's not accelerating. Um, the IPCC tried, uh, not the IPCC, actually, they've been quite honest about it. Um, in fairness, but a lot of the, I think NOAA and NASA came out with a graph showing a slight acceleration. But if you look at other data, there is no acceleration. It's still about 1.2 mil a year, but even that they will blame on humans, but that's been happening, you know, for 300 years. Um, I mean, you know, the industrial age really only began get going after World War II in 1950. What what the IPCC would, would um, point at, at their current, what they call, you know, um, anthropogenic global warming only from 17, uh, 1950 onwards. So what happened from 1750? Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Barney rubbles. I've got a rule. Every time someone mentions NASA, 
I have to remind the world <laughs> that they're the yeah. geniuses that crashed uh, one of their orbital ships into Mars yeah. because they confused feet and meters. So when they can That's get right. that sorted, yep. I'll believe they yeah. will the meter changes in the sea level. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that was a, that was a. I, I think sorry, just back on that. That was a problem with groupthink, wasn't it? Um, that issue. So the so the group they couldn't. No one could um, come in and say, "Hey guys, I think your data's wrong." And they all said, "You know, who are you? Shut up!" And they had that they had that error, which I don't know, cost the taxpayer again billions of dollars. So um, this whole groupthink thing lies in it, doesn't it? Demise for no reason. Poor little thing. Yeah. Just getting smashed into yep. Mars. <laughs> I have Absolutely. I have a great affection for the technology on Mars. I feel so sorry for them. Um, <laughs> topic. Uh, just a few more things. Um, a mm. lot of people have noticed that the people who look after the land tend to be the people who live in the country. And they also mm -hmm. tend to be the climate skeptics because, weirdly, they are used to the way that the climate is quite mm. violent and changes and that one hailstorm is not the end of planetary life. Droughts are a yeah. thing, farmers know this, floods follow droughts. Uh, yeah. Why have we got city activists demonising farmers and people who live on the land when the city activists have almost no knowledge of what it is to live out in amongst the climate they're attempting to play with? Have you, well, you been able to work out what that is? Uh, well, I'd say from a political point of view, um, most farming communities are independent people and they probably vote conservative that'd be one one reason um the second reason again is just um demonizing certain groups who they feel are um probably scarring the land when really they're um they're the ultimate um you know investors in the land and 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 are good to the land and know how to treat their land know how to fireproof it but the green groups just I think just have a, on a constant attack of anyone who claims to have any any ownership of the land. They kind of want to own everything. They want to own your lives. They want to own your, your, your taxpayer funds. They want to own your thoughts. They want to own the ideology. They want to own every space. So anyone who falls outside um, is isolated and demonised, yeah. But, what's, <laughs> oh. what, what's your big thing right now? What is your most crucial uh, idea or cause that you are attempting to fight right now that you would like uh, the audience to be aware um, of? I guess it's the energy debacle. I mean, we've been told for the last 10 years that green energy would reduce prices, but they keep going up and up and up, um, which is in direct correlation with the massive proliferation of, of well, I call them unreliables. Um, there, there's no other way to look at it. They can all fossick around for different excuses, but and I mean, it, it's it, it's got to end up um, coming to a crashing halt. Apart from the, the levels of debt that our country's going into, paying for all this stuff, and the rise of China, who are using our coal to to gain a geopolitical advantage. So that's the big thing, I think. Energy, and also, I mean, we we talked about um, the land use from um, wind and solar. I don't think anyone actually realises, um, you know, how much mining um, goes into one solar panel. I mean, there's four tonnes of copper that goes into each windmill. That's a lot of copper. And I remember that older hashtag that was going around years ago by the green groups, um, you know, keep it in the ground. Um, hang on a minute, where do you get copper from? So, um, and each, each windmill uses 220 tonnes of coal just to melt the steel. And you've got, to, you've got to back them up with 
thermal energy, which is either nuclear or um, reliable um, therm um, hydrocarbons. And uh, yeah, so just the mining. So I think um, you don't sort of hear the counter evidence of, of what Greens say. Windmills and solar panels, it all sounds wonderful, but what goes into making those things? It's monumental, the amount of um, industrial process that is needed to do it. And let me tell you, you can't melt steel or aluminium um, with windmills and solar panels. I mean, find me a windmill solar powered um, coking coal plant. I mean, it's just, it's just not going to happen. You can't produce enough energy to melt aluminium with a windmill. This is not going to happen. Yeah. So you need a, a powerful source to do it. So therefore, it goes back to the thing. Why bother? Why bother having windmills and solar panels apart from ticking the virtue box? That's the only reason they're here. Make people feel good. So it's a travesty. Yeah, well, so we're just doubling up on energy for nothing. That's one mm. thing that people don't realise. We keep our renewables, wind and solar uh, creation, and especially the mining of their basic elements in China because oh. of the mining. And the mining for wind turbines and solar panels produces radioactive sludge that often just gets put straight back mm. into the rivers of China, where a lot of communities have had yep. to be moved off their land because it's poisoned all the rivers yep. over there. And America did, like, the other thing is that People say, oh, well, the, the elements are in China. That's why the mining's in China. No, the rare materials for these panels are everywhere. And America mm. in particular used to run a, a rare earths trade, but it was so toxic that they were forced to close it mm. in order to maintain their green certificates. And that's why mm -hmm. China, who doesn't really care about what they do to their own country, are the ones who now produce yeah. these wonderful green renewables environmentally friendly panels which might look all right when yeah. they arrive in australia but their birth was hideous for the environment mm. um and yep. the, i've already kept you a long time and i apologize for that it's been wonderful but no, i've got okay. two more things for you um do you okay. fear that we are losing the fight conservatives and libertarians and anybody who actually cares about the environment uh. are we losing the fight to politics Yes, not not in the hearts and minds of the people. I believe there's a large swathe of, you know, individual people, mums and dads, and sort of the middle class to the lower class. I think they see these arguments really well. I mean, the evidence is in the 2018 election again um, between Shorten and Morrison. Um, I believe it was another climate election and Morrison won it handily. Um, so we're losing it in the fact that our politicians, once they get in power from, you know, us little people, then they go down the path of virtue and greenness to avoid, I guess, being attacked by the leftist mainstream media, which is, in effect, a massive roadblock again, because the people are meant to have the say. We, we vote for these politicians based on what we want. Um, and from all of the evidence I've, I've seen around the world, the majority of people don't want, um, you know, draconian sort of um, green taxes put upon them. They just want to have a life, run their business, have low electricity bills, have reliable energy. But it seems our political class just can't come around to the people, which is kind of strange. Um, like or loathe Donald Trump, I think that was one of the reasons why he was so lauded was because he actually gave back to the people. I mean, Donald Trump fought laterally and upward against the elites and the, the establishment. Um, I think most of the people who run us now, they punch down on the people, which um, which is a stark difference. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where it is. So there's a big barrier to get through um, our political class for sure. Yeah.
well, the bureaucracy will always fight against any politician who tries to solve the problems that keep the bureaucracy alive. That is a sad fact mm -hmm. of our political system as yep. it stands right now. And this yep. is our our final uh, question. This is a bit of a fun one, so you can relax. It's not going to be tricky. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you could have anybody to dinner in history, alive or dead, um, to have a chat with over dinner, who oh, would it God. be and why? Um, can I have two? Yeah, you can I'd have, have Donald, two. I've, Donald. I've allowed that before. <laughs> I'd probably have at this political stage, I'd have Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi perhaps and just watch them get it on. <laughs> <laughs> That's, no, no, I said to have a chat, not create a, a war, which is what you would do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a murder um, that we'll solve later on. <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> okay, what would you ask Donald Trump and what would you ask Pelosi if you could actually talk to them in person? Oh, geez, they put me on the spot. Um, yeah, this is the fun okay. part. Okay. Um, I'd ask Donald Trump, why didn't you pardon Julian, Julian Assange on your way out and are aliens real? <laughs> yes, that's, that's all I want to know. I don't care about all the yeah. rest of politics. Can you just clear yeah. up the whole intelligence? <laughs> That'd be brilliant. Yeah. Well, well done. That's great. And also, I'd like to thank you particularly for all the work you do because I know that uh, the oh, conservatives thanks, online, they love you. They think you're wonderful. We all steal oh. your work. We copy your work. We repost it. And um, you've been in an enormous help as far as trying to counteract the climate change narrative with real mm. information, with solid facts, and you produce a huge amount of work. So thank you very much, Jamie, yeah. and I hope you have a wonderful Pleasure. afternoon. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ellie. Yeah, take care. Thank you for joining us on Curtain Call. We are hosted by The Good Source, the home of conservative and libertarian voices. Help us fight fake news by following us online. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all good podcasting services. If you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe.